morning. Good morning. Good morning. Barb does it better. <laughs> Today's scripture reading comes from the first chapter of Colossians, verses 21 to 27. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue to continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been pictured, or excuse me, proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the world two pages at once, three pages at once. The opportunity to show it. Nope. I've messed up here, people. My, my apologies. But you had no. You were concerned, but you had no. Uh, God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is God's word. Good morning. Good morning. I brought a piece of paper today. Yay. Piece of paper. Piece of paper. Yay. What do we do with a piece of paper? You could draw on it. What else? You could make an airplane. You could. And you know what? This piece of paper told me that it wants to be a paper airplane today. Wow. Pretty amazing, huh? We make medication for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to make a paper airplane. Are you sure? This one told me it really wanted to be a paper airplane. Now, I'm not the best paper airplane maker. Have you ever made a paper airplane? Do they fly really well? Sometimes they do. Yeah? Well, I'm not very good at making them. Usually mine don't go very far. And then I kind of get mad. We had a competition at school, and all the kids were supposed to make airplanes. They said, Miss, you make one too. Well, mine went, theirs went, and I kind of got mad. And I kind of thought about that, and I'm like, hmm, that's not so good to get mad about something like a paper airplane, is it? Yeah. And, and 
Now he knows? Well, maybe you should get her to teach you, because this one, she doesn't know too good. So here's my airplane. I can see the trouble. <laughs> not very aerodynamic. Not, not very aerodynamic? You don't think it's going to fly? It does look like Bruce's car. <laughs> well, I told you, I'm not very good at making paper airplanes. And sometimes I get angry. I get mad when my airplane doesn't fly. I'm not going to actually try to fly this one because I'm pretty sure it's just going to go. Um, but. Yeah, sometimes they do. And when they go, how do we feel about that? Yeah. Disappointed. Awesome. That's what we should do. But sometimes we get mad. And then when we get mad, we do things that we probably couldn't do, right? We might yell. We might hit. Or we might just Set sit and pout. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go quite that far. But, um, but sometimes we do things that we shouldn't do, that don't make God happy. And those things, and yes, and God gets disappointed. Those things are kind of like sins. When we do things that are not what God wants us to do, and they kind of tear us down a bit. We kind of aren't what we're supposed to be. I don't know, do you think it would fly better now? Yeah. It might. But I might be really mad that I'm not all there now. And I might still sin some more. Because, you know, once you start sinning, it's real easy to keep sinning. And that's not so good. So now what do you think? Let's try it? Well, I want to show you something with this airplane. This is not just your average, ordinary airplane. You see, I did some things that were sins. And in our Bible, it tells us that if we do things that are sins, we're not doing what God wants us to do. And we need to ask him to forgive us for those sins, right? Now, if we say, God, you know, I, I messed up, I sinned, I yelled, I hit, I, I wasn't nice, I said bad words, what's he going to do? You think so? I don't think so. He's not going to yell at me and throw fireballs at me. He's going to say, I forgive you. And you know how he forgave us? How did he forgive us? Whose cross is that? Jesus. That's right, Jesus' cross. He sent Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins even before we made those sins. This cross was in this piece of paper the whole time. What? Yeah. <laughs> Forgiving us. Even before we did those bad things, we made sins. We have an amazing God. Okay, well, when we go downstairs, we'll test some paper airplanes, okay? All right, so let's pray. 
Dear God, we thank you that you love us so much that no matter how much we sin, as long as we come to you and ask for forgiveness, you are faithful and just, and you will forgive us. You've already forgiven us. We just need to ask. We need to be reminded sometimes how much you love us. We thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are the God of glory and you want to invite us into that glory and we pray that um, we will understand just a little bit more today what that means for us. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Last week we left off, we were looking at 1 John chapter 4 and there were two verses at the end of our passage that I didn't talk about. So I'm going to talk about them today, along with the Colossians passage that Tom read for us. In 1 John 4, verses 20 to 21, the Apostle John says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So, this sermon series is about God's glory, but I've already said that God's glory and God's love are essentially the same thing, because love is the essence of who God is, and glory is the essence of who something is, and if God's essence is love, then God's glory is love. So, um... I'm finding out that this particular sermon series on glory could actually be a sermon series about love because we seem to keep talking about it. Um, So, if God's glory is love and love is God's glory, then if we're going to glorify God, which we've agreed is something that we're supposed to do, that must have something to do with love, right? Right. Um, So the first step, I would say, to glorifying God is to rely on his love, which we talked about last week, and that's in 1 John 4, 16. That really stuck out to me, so I will probably remember that for a long time. Um, Where John says that God loves us, we love because he first loved us. And so we can rely on his love. One thing about relying on his love is that it frees us up to love other people because we don't have to try to hang on to our own self-interest and our own, um, even our own identity if God's reliable love is holding it for us. So the first step to glorifying God is to rely on his love, but how do we rely on his love? What's that? Have faith and pray. Yeah. So have faith and trust. Believe in God's love and trust in God's love. But how do we do that? Okay. Listen to the word is one of it, but I one of those things. But I think a way that we can rely on God's love, that we can trust in God's love, is to love God. If we are really, if you really trust somebody, it's easy to love them, right? 
if they are trustworthy. And God is trustworthy, but we can't see him. So, the best way to love God, it's important to read scripture and it's important to pray. Those two things keep us connected to God and what God is like. But the best way to actively love God is, let's guess. To know him. What's that? To do what he says, which is, yes, (laughs) love people. We rely on God's love by loving God, but we love God by loving people. The love that we have for each other is the only proof there is that anybody else can see that we love God. We can go around talking about how much we love God all day long, But if other people don't feel loved by us, or if we aren't acting in a way that promotes other people's well-being, that expresses that love, then um, all of our words about loving God don't really mean anything. There are a lot of things that are harder to do because we can't God, but it is really easy to say that we love God when we can't see him. But if we say that and we don't love the people right in front of us who are made in God's image, then, as John bluntly says, we're lying. Because when we see each other, we are seeing we're all a mess. It's true. I'm a mess. I know most of you well enough to know that You're kind of a mess, too. We're all a mess (laughs) together. (laughs) Um, But every single one of you and me has something of the image of God in us. And so this, when we look at each other, we might see the mess, but we also are seeing God. (coughs) We, if we say we love God and we're we're not loving our brothers and sisters, we may not intentionally be lying, but John is saying that it is literally impossible to actually love the God that we can't see if we don't love people created in that God's image. It might be possible for a person to be devoted to some other God or idol or system of thought and not love people, But that does not work with the living, loving God that the Bible tells us about. Because this God is love. And we can't be in relationship to the source of all love if we're not learning by his spirit to love each other. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, says famously, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. So in other words, You can say all the right things about God, but if you don't have love, you're just making a lot of noise. 
I have to be careful that that's not me, because I do a lot of talking from up here. <laughs> or you could have all kinds of amazing spiritual gifts that give you all kinds of insight, or you have super great theology, or you know all the ancient languages of the Bible, and you can read it in the originals, or you can, or you have this amazing faith and miracles come when you pray, but you don't love, none of that stuff matters. Or you can be super self-sacrificial and you can give away everything you have for other people and you can, you can be persecuted even, but if you don't love, you don't get anything for it. That's kind of crazy talk. But I think, I mean, it's in the Bible, so <laughs> it's true. It seems really extreme. But both Paul and John are saying essentially the same thing here. Love is the essence of God, and it's got to be the essence of God's people. And that brings us to, to today's passage, the Apostle Paul again, this time to the Colossians. <coughs> And what he says in this passage is, the fact is, none of us start out glorifying God. We're all made in God's image, but we are all also broken. And so we, none of us, glorify God to start off. We don't glorify God, we don't rely on God's love, we don't love God, and we don't love each other. There are aspects of love, we talked about this a little bit last week, there are aspects of love that happen in the world outside of the church. There, God is love and God made everything, so there is love. But Paul is making a theological point, saying that without Jesus, we are alienated from God, who is the source of love. So we're, all of us start off on the wrong foot. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies, in your mind, because of your evil behavior. But then he goes on and he says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So we were enemies of God, just kind of by default. And God loved us anyway and reconciled us to him by Christ's physical body. Our whole selves, body and spirit, is something that God has given us, has created out of love, and is worth loving. And God shows us that our whole selves, body and spirit, is created out of love by him, and worth loving because, A, he loves us, and because he took on bodies like we have. He became embodied so that we could see him and experience him in flesh and blood. And our whole selves are reconciled to God because our God put his whole self into a human body. The way that Jesus expressed his love, both for his Father and for us, in his body, makes us blemish-free. Blemish-free, that's really hard to say. And 
accusation-free before God. If, says Paul, you continue in your faith. It sounds like, is there something that our faith is dependent on that isn't just God's grace? Well, sort of. If you continue in your faith, that is, if you keep on relying on the love that God has and has expressed for you. So it's possible to say, I know God loves me, and then to not rely on that love at all. It takes trust to rely on the love of God. And so Paul is, is making it a little bit conditional here. You are without blemish, and you are free from accusation if you continue in your faith, because it is God's love that is what makes us blemish-free, right? <coughs> and accusation-free. If we stop relying on that love, well, then it's kind of like we're taking our old dirty coat that we had over there that we left at the door and saying, I think I'll take this and I'll go back out on my own. Thanks for your love, God. I'm, I'm, I'm done. That doesn't really make sense, but I think sometimes it's tempting to do that for some reason. Here's another weird thing that Paul says in this passage. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Wait, what? <laughs> Was Jesus' sacrifice not enough? Is there something lacking? No? What does this mean, then? <laughs> Yeah, um, I never understood this passage, and I think I might be getting a glimpse of it after having worked on this sermon, of what he's trying to say. What if Paul is saying here, in a really weird and kind of convoluted way, is related to what John is saying in 1 John 4 in a really blunt way? Paul says he's suffering for the Colossian Christians and that that is somehow connected to Jesus' sufferings that reconcile us. And he's saying that, that his suffering and Jesus' suffering together is somehow for the sake of Jesus' body, the church. Paul suffered a lot in his body, but usually in the stories that we have of him in Acts, we see that the suffering that mo mostly that Paul experienced was from the hands of people who did not believe in the gospel. They threw rocks at him, and they kicked him out of town, or, they, or he ended up on a boat that was in a shipwreck, which people didn't do that to him. But um, Usually it was not from people at the church, in the church, in the people of God. But if he is suffering specifically for Christ's body, the church, not for God or not for Christ, but for Christ's body, is it possible that he is referring here to the suffering that is involved in loving brothers and sisters in Christ? Because, let's face it, we all bear the image of God, and we're all sometimes a pain in the neck. 
<laughs> and sometimes it is kind of suffering to love each other. And Jesus can't do that work for us. We, as followers of Jesus, are Christ's body. And so from that sense, the suffering that we experience together as we try to learn to love each other is suffering that Jesus himself is still experiencing. But it is redeemed suffering. Paul is saying, I'm suffering to fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. But he's sort of implying it's not just because he's Paul and he's special and he's this like mega apostle or whatever. He, it sounds, the way he writes about it, like he's saying we all have this opportunity, even privilege, to suffer in Christ's body for Christ's body. By loving each other. We are all works in progress, and we are each glorious in some ways, and frankly, really inglorious in other ways. We rub each other the wrong way, we hurt each other, we get selfish or bossy or lazy or doormatty, and in these small and sometimes large ways, we cause each other to suffer the very things that Jesus died for and which ultimately killed him. But Paul says about the church in verse 25. I have become its servant by the, commission of, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. <coughs> Even though, in a minute, he also says it's a mystery. The word of God in its fullness, but also in its mystery. And part of the mystery is that we are now Christ's body. God is love. John tells us that no one has ever seen God, but he saw Jesus, and we see Jesus too because we are his body. We, Jew and Gentile, man and woman, young and old, rich and poor, from every national background, if we rely on the love God has for us in Jesus, are the Lord's people, to whom, Paul says, God has chosen to make known his mystery. The mystery is that he loves us and that we love him by loving each other. The glorious riches of this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We become glorious as we love God by loving each other. So today, appropriately, is Communion Sunday, and we are going to celebrate communion together in Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that we have to make sure that we don't take communion in an unworthy manner. And he says an unworthy manner is by not recognizing the body and blood of Christ. And people have interpreted that differently over the centuries, and some people think that that means we need to believe that the elements actually turn into the literal body and blood of Christ. I don't disparage those churches that believe that, but I don't think that's what that means. I don't think that's what happens. Um, some people think that Paul means that we should never take communion without intently focusing on the sacrifice that Jesus made in his body, and that's actually one reason why in Baptist churches very often the 
elements are passed so people can sit and contemplate and make sure that they, their hearts are right with God. And I think that's part of it. But I don't think that's the whole thing. Based on what Paul said in today's passage and what he also says in 1 Corinthians 11, it seems like one of the things he's really saying, maybe the main thing he's saying, is that we also need to recognize Christ's body and blood in each other. And that it is this physical act of eating this bread and drinking this, in this case, juice, that demonstrates that it is Jesus reconciling death that unites us as his body. So when we take the elements, we are remembering what he did, and we're remembering each other. Because this is what unites us. So today, to help us recognize Christ's body in each other, I'm going to, we're going to have communion as we usually do, but instead of music while the elements are being passed, I'm going to read a meditation, uh, both during the passing of the bread and during the passing of the cup. It's um, beautiful and maybe a little bit challenging. It's probably supposed to be. Um, it comes from a ministry called Between Church. And hopefully it will help all of us as we examine our hearts and recognize Jesus' sacrifice and prepare ourselves for this feast. So let's begin to prepare first by uh, prayer and then singing our communion hymn together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your death, your sacrifice that you made for us. And even though some of us are introverts and like our alone time, thank you that you didn't do this just for a bunch of isolated individuals, but you did it to reconcile us to you and then to each other. We pray that we will live in that reality more and more this year for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Love the people right in front of you, right now, if you want to love God. That's what the author of 1 John 4.20 suggests. To worship or glorify God, meet your new neighbor. To glorify God, thank your kid's teacher. To glorify God, call your grandma. To glorify God, play with your child. To glorify God, don't engage in that online debate. To glorify God, only respond with love. To glorify God, ask that unhoused person a question. To glorify God, welcome the immigrant. To glorify God, visit the prisoner. To glorify God, forgive your political enemy. To glorify God, tell your story for others. To glorify God, invite a coworker to coffee. To glorify God, host someone new for dinner in your home. To glorify God, comfort someone in grief. Let's take the bread of life together with thanksgiving. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. glorify God, share a meal with a struggling friend. To glorify God, be patient with a difficult family member. To glorify God, mentor a young person. To glorify God, listen to someone with opposing views. To glorify God, show kindness to a stranger. To glorify God, Encourage a person who is starting up a business or writing a book. To glorify God, express gratitude to those who serve. To glorify God, help a neighbor with a task. To glorify God, learn from someone of a different culture. To glorify God, mentor someone in your profession. To glorify God, encourage someone pursuing their dreams. To glorify God, choose compassion over judgment. 
to glorify God, be a peacemaker in conflict. To glorify God, create sacred space between you and the next person you encounter. Let us drink the cup of life with thanksgiving. So whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 